we want to thank you that our life is hidden with Christ in God. That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, Not tribulation or distress or uh, famine or nakedness or the sword, not our suffering and not even our own sin can separate those of us who are in Christ by faith. We just want to thank you for that. And Father, we want to approach you as the God who is the giver of, of all good things, the, the, the one who gives good gifts, and you tell your children to come and ask you for them. And, and that's what we want to do now, God. We, we want to come to you, and we want to ask you um, for sustaining grace for the rest of the school year, for those of our students that are uh, entering into maybe one of the busier times in their lives with projects and finals and, and things piling up on them and, and maybe even being overwhelmed. Father, we ask that you would sustain them by your grace and mercy. This same God who we read about earlier that is full of steadfast love and mercy, who's gracious and, and, and strong to save, we pray that you would help them. Give them discipline in their studies, help them to know when to stop and to rest. God, we pray that you would help them to do this for the glory of God. We pray that you would sustain them through uh, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as they behold you in your word. We pray for those of among us who are educators and who are uh, have had a long few years uh, in the field of education, so our teachers and administrators and, and staff and, and those at OSU and the Corvallis and Albany school districts, God, we ask that you would help them. God, see past the, the mundaneness and the, uh, the, the, the tiredness of this season. See past it to eternity and what you are doing now that will last for eternity. God, help them. Give them confidence in you. Our soul rests in you and you alone. We pray that you would sustain them. God, would you, would you help us look to you as connected to you through our death and resurrection through Jesus Christ, that when you appear, we will appear with you in glory. I pray that w- that would sustain all of our days. God, that would even sustain our, our missions effort. Father, to think that the, the root, the stump of Jesse was promised to appear and make all things right. And that one is Jesus Christ. And that you would help us, sustain us as we take his gospel to the nations. And we ask that by your power, you would use your word to convert people who have never heard your name before. Would you use our our gospel partners in in all of these regions? And we pray that you would raise up more from among us to go out and give their lives away for the gospel. God, we pray that you would help us not to to keep this treasure that we have in earthen vessel bottled up, but it would shine forth and go out. So God, do your work through your son, Jesus Christ, by your spirit in us. And Father, we pray that you would sustain those gospel partners that are, are here in Corvallis and beyond and in, in Albany and 
and south of us in Eugene, and we ask that you would give them, you'd give them joy in their gospel proclamation today. We thank you for our, our mother church, the, the church that sent us out and planted us, Grand Avenue Baptist Church, and we ask that you would help them. Give Brian Bernard the, uh, the clarity and, and power, boldness to speak your words of life to your people, that your good news may sustain them and take them out to the nations. We pray that you give them joy and unity as they gather together. I pray for their, even their college ministry as it's going to the campus, that you'd give them success in telling more people about them, them about you. And God, we do pray that you would help us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to rejoice with them as they are seeing successes in, in this ministry. Give us gladness because your kingdom is being built. And we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So build your church here in Corvallis through our dear friends and gospel partners. God, and we pray that you would do that through us. Even this morning, would you sustain us by your words of life? Please show us Christ. As we open your word, would you open us up to it? God, break, break away the stone in our hearts that has that is, that is crept in over this week. And I pray that the powerful word of Christ would, would in, in, ex, explosively rid our hearts of the old affections and, and give us new affections for him this morning. And we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer the one who first loved us. Amen. So this morning we're again in Colossians 3. I think I may have said Colossians 1, but Colossians 3, 1 through 4. I can uh, remember vividly uh, taking a lunch break from FedEx. I was a FedEx driver for 15 years, and it was a sultry summer day in Greenville, South Carolina. And I, I was sitting at a, a well-known coffee shop, sipping uh, some iced coffee and, and reading C.S. Lewis's Surprised by Joy. In Lewis's biography, I remember as I was reading it, awakening a longing in me that I didn't know was there. I longed for the kind of joy that Lewis talked about. And, and, you know, if you've ever experienced this, I just remember reading it, and as, as his life went from despair to joy, from losing uh, his mother and getting sent away to boarding school to little awakenings of joy and coming to Christ, if you've ever experienced that, you will know that once the longing for true joy is awakened in you, uh, like for me, you know that you were made for that. You were, made, you, you were made for it. The, the longings once awakened in you cannot be fully satisfied until it, it, they terminate on the one who awakened them. So I remember sitting there outside, struck by a new affection and thinking, that is my story too. Something in me longed for the kind of joy that Lewis described. 
And I remember thinking and looking back now, thinking that all the desires I had ever had, being a great basketball star, to, to marry the most beautiful woman I had ever known, to, to get a, a high-class education, to be, to be known as somebody in this world, none of those desires fully satisfied me. Even, even the one that became reality, marrying Bridget. It doesn't fully satisfy. Why? Because I was made for something more. I was made for someone in whose presence is fullness of joy and whose, at whose right hand is pleasures forevermore. God started to awaken affections in me for himself. And my newly awakened affections became a weapon for me to fight sin. I don't mean emotions, I mean a sanctified longing for the one who created me became, that awakened affection became a weapon for me to fight sin. Now, you, if you've been with us in, a series of, in our series of Colossians, uh, last week we talked about this very thing. The, the way you're going to enjoy the Christian life in this world uh, it is, he says in Colossians 2, 16 through 23, is by Christ alone, clinging to him alone. So don't let anyone disqualify, don't let anyone condemn you for the food that you eat or the days you observe or don't observe. Don't let anyone disqualify you by, by making you uh, obey religious rules and regulations. No, cling to Christ alone, who is the head of the body of the church. You want to you enjoy the Christian life? Fight remaining sin. Now, how do we fight remaining sin? I think Paul is telling us the strategy is to fight remaining sin, to fight sin with your affections. Seek the things that are above, he tells us. Because, you'll remember, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So fight your remaining sin, brothers and sisters, in Christ, fight your remaining sin, the indulgence of the flesh, by setting your affections on things above, where Christ is seated. So Paul lays this out for the Colossian church in, in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and by implication, he's laying it out for the branch church. And for any Christian who will read this, fight your remaining sin by setting your affections on things above. Fight sin with new affection. So we're just going to look at four headings, the ground, the strategy, the reason, the reward. The ground for seeking things above, the strategy for seeking things above, the reason for seeking things above, and the reward for seeking things above. So in, in, in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, the ground for thinking, seeking things that are above or for fighting sin with your affections is is to connect is a connection to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's our connection to the death and resurrection of Christ. You want to know what the ground for fighting sin with affections is? It's to connect, to see the connection you have with the death and resurrection of Jesus. So how do we know this is the ground? Well, let's just look at it in verse 1. Paul, you see, begins with an if-then clause. You could say it like this, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. Now that, that word if, the if-then clause, the sense 
or the, the, the therefore, it connects up to verse 20, right? So our ground is both the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, if with Christ, chapter 2, verse 20, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were alive in the world, do you still submit to regulations? Paul is saying that since you died and since you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. You, you want to know how to deal with remaining sin. It is to remember that when Christ died, you died. And when Christ was raised, you were raised. And because of that, you can seek the things that are above. The, this death and resurrection reality is what the drama of baptism is all about. You'll notice that the, the lights are on. The baptismal is filled with water. And this Sunday, we get to witness the drama, salvation put on display for us in the drama of baptism. What happens in baptism? Lindsay is going to go down into the waters of baptism this morning. And it pictures the death of Jesus and her death with him. When she goes down, we dunk her into the water of baptism. It's a picture of his death and her death in him. When Lizzie, Lindsay repented of her sins and put her faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, Christ's work in his death was counted to her. And when she comes back up from the water, it pictures Jesus' resurrection and her resurrection with him. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you not only died with him, you were raised with him. That's the ground for fighting sin with this new affection. And Paul says that the ground for, to fight against your sin is here. The ground to fight against your anger and pride and self-hatred is to seek the things that are above where Christ has seated. He has died, he has risen, and he will come again. Friend, if you are not a Christian, but you're trying to fight sin, if you're not a Christian, if you don't follow Jesus, if you haven't repented of your sins and turned to him, and you're trying to fight sin, you're waging a war that's impossible. None of us can fight sin in our own strength. Before you fight sin, you have to realize that sin has already and only been dealt with in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is seated at the right hand of God as proof that his death and resurrection was legitimate. It was legit. And if you will admit that you're a sinner, if you will confess to Jesus that whatever he says about your sin is true, and you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise from Romans 10, 9. So friend, repent and believe. And if you want to talk about that more, I'd, I'll be at the door. I would love to talk to you afterwards. I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. But don't leave, friend, until you have, until you have explored this more, until you have turned to Jesus. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. So the ground of dealing with sin is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And your death and resurrection connect, is connected with his. So because that is true, 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated. Fight your sin, setting your affections on things above. Secondly, the strategy. The strategy for seeking things above. In verse 2, it says, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. The tense of this verb, to set your mind on things above, is, is uh, it's a continual, it means a continual action. It means setting, keep on setting your mind on things above. The ground is the gospel. The strategy is what Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. This is what I was referring to in my introduction. Fighting sin cannot be a bare-knuckled, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps, quit-cold-turkey kind of mentality. Putting, Putting to death the deeds of the body doesn't work that way. Putting on the new self does not work that way. We must have our minds set on things above. So I like the way the King James Version puts it, actually. Set your affection on things above. And didn't our Lord teach us this very thing in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There your heart will be also. So how do you know if you're laying treasure up for yourself in heaven or on earth? How do you know if you're setting your mind or your affections on things above? To quote that philosopher, NF, the mind is a powerful place, and what you feed it can affect you in a powerful way. So what does Jesus say? How do you know? He goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to say, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Are you anxious about your life? I am. I have been this week. Do you know what that means? My treasure is not in heaven. I've not been treasuring up in heaven. I've not been setting my mind on things in heaven. He says, are you anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or nor about your body, what you will put on? Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not of more value than they? And, And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what you shall eat. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear for the Gentiles? Seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But what? What should you do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
friend, the strategy is to keep at it, to keep setting your mind and affections on things above where Christ is seated. He died, you died. He came to life, so did you. Set your mind there. So there's just two things. I just, externally, what are you feeding your mind with? Twitter is a dangerous place. It's ugly. If you feed your mind unfiltered through Twitter, your mind is going to be a very dangerous place. What about your news feeds? What about your music? What is coming into your mind? What are you feeding your mind with? Now, those are all external things that are coming in, and we need to filter them. And I'm not making, I'm not telling you, you know, you need to buy my music CD and and then listen to that. I I don't even have one. I'm just saying, like, what are you doing? What are you feeding your mind with externally? What about internally? What are you feeding your mind with? What, What filters on there? What conversation goes around and around in your head and you can't get out of your own head and you're thinking about it over and over and over and over again? The strategy is to to have all of that exploded out, expulsive power of a new affection, this new affection that comes from the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus is is to push it out. One filter we can just, we can put on our minds. Philippians 4, verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So if you say, I don't know what all of those things mean, I encourage you this week to study that verse and look up what they mean and then run Twitter through the filter of Philippians 4.8. Run your newsfeed through the filter of Philippians 4.8. Run your thought patterns through the filter of Philippians 4.8. This is the strategy. Fight sin with a new affection. Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God. You know what Psalm 110 says? that he is seated at the right hand of God and he has and God will put all his enemies under his feet. Just like a footstool, he'll be, he'll be putting his enemies right on his feet, his, his foot on their neck and they will have no power over you. You need to have your mind there. The ground is the gospel. The strategy is to be captivated by the gospel. And then verse three, Paul gives us the reason ground, the strategy, the reason to fight your sin by setting your affection on things above. And we know it's the reason because chapter 3, verse 3 starts out with for. It's the, the preposition means because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. He goes back to this connection again. This is called union with Christ. When Christ died, and you repented of your sins and believed in him, you died, and you were raised again. And he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When we die, we are with Christ, hidden with him in God. 
So when a Christian goes into the waters of baptism and they, they hold their breath for a second or two, I promise it won't be more than that, Lindsay. They are down in that water. That is a drama to remind them and us that our lives are hidden with Christ and God. We have union with him. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus if you are in him. No matter what waves or billows roll over your life, you are hidden with Christ in God. No matter what relationship breaks your heart, you are hidden with Christ in God. No matter what suffering arises in this life, you are hidden with Christ in God. No matter what tragedy strikes you, you are hidden with Christ in God. No matter what disappointments you face, you are hidden with Christ in God. No matter the sin that is too strong for you to overcome, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And where Christ, where is Christ in all of this? He is above. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high until he, God, makes all his enemies his footstool. So friend, fight your sin by setting your affections on things above. Andrew Peterson has a song, it sings, being seized by the power of a great affection. Have you been seized by this power? This great affection that is Jesus Christ. If you want to engage in the battle against sin, you need to ground the gospel. You need the strategy of applying the gospel. And you need the reason of security. And lastly, you, you need to remember the reward for seeking things above. There is a reward coming to those who have their lives hidden with Christ and God. And verse four tell us, tells us about it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ appears, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It will happen. And our affections for him are directly tied to our fulfillment in him, our security assurance in him. They're directly tied to our feelings about it. But it is true because Jesus died and was raised, it is as sure as it's gonna happen whether you feel it or not. You, you want to feel saved you want the assurance of your salvation, then set your minds, set your affections on things above. But know this, whether you feel it or not, God has done it in Christ. How is that? Because Christ is our very life. Do you remember that, that uh, scene in John 11 after Lazarus dies? He, he died and Mary and Martha had serious doubts about Jesus. And he was, he was either unkind or unable to help Lazarus. We, he, they didn't know which one it was. And Martha told Jesus that she believed that Lazarus would rise again at the last day. She did believe that. 
Hey, Jesus, do you remember Jesus' reply to her? I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe on me will never die. Do, do you believe this? Those who believe on me also, they will be resurrected. And he asked her, do you believe this? Jesus not only created and gave you life, he died and rose again so that you could have everlasting life. He is your life. If you want to fight your sin, set your affections on him. He is your life. And when Jesus, the resurrection and the life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. One scholar says this, when the day of revelation and glory will dawn, Paul doesn't suggest. We, we don't know a time. This, the date's unknown. It's Advent, when Jesus comes back again in person, in full person, and, and rules on this earth. We don't know when that's going to happen, but it is certain. And the, con the consummating act in the series of saving events is assured by those who which have already been accomplished. That is his, his death and resurrection and enthronement. And we should remember Romans 8, 29 and 30, that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God has, has surely done this. And as surely as he's done that, he will come again. The day of glory may be future, but as the past tense glorified implies, its arrival is as sure as if it were already here. For those whose faith is placed in him, Christ is already their glory. If you have placed your faith in Christ, he is already your glory. He is your reward. The hope and the glory are comprehended in the life which all his people have in him. With this reaffirmation of the Christian hope, the Apostle Paul tells you, fight your sin. Put your affections on things above where Christ is seated. And fight your sin with your affections, friends. Set your mind on things above the ground is the gospel. The strategy is the new affection that the gospel brings. The reason is your union with Christ. The reward is that you will appear with him in glory. It's as sure as it's going to happen. Brother and sister, I encourage you. I implore you from Jesus Christ in his word. Set your affections on him. Let's pray. Father, we look to you now.